Hello, chefs. You're listening to Chef's PSA Podcast. I'm your host, Andre Natera. On today's episode, we're going to talk about kitchen culture and really all the things that go into building one. So stay tuned. So let's start out with an update. Actually, I just came back from the Austin Food and Wine Festival trying to hurry up and get home so I could record this episode. I want to make sure that I get it out on time tomorrow morning. But it's been festival week for me. So, you know, last weekend we had the Wine and Swine event in Austin. And uh, today was Austin Food and Wine Festival. So I've spent a lot of time this week eating food, going to restaurants, hanging out with the chefs, the Illuminati chefs. Anyway, secret society chefs that are the movers and shakers in the industry. It's fun. You know, I I do like festivals and I was contemplating uh, what I wanted to have this podcast on today. Was I going to talk about kitchen culture or was I going to talk about food festivals? And I thought, "Ah, let's talk about kitchen culture because I got a lot of questions uh, in the DMs regarding kitchen culture because I've posted a couple of very specific reels and TikToks on kitchen culture from a class that I did. But food festivals is definitely a topic that, uh, you know, could could be a whole episode. And um, the the best thing about food festivals, and I'll, I'll save some of this for later, but the best thing about food festivals is a lot of the chefs, you sometimes only see them at festivals, right? So they're, they're your friends, you guys get together, you go to the after party, whatever. Um, but it's a big get together. So yes, there's the food component and the, and the service piece, but you know, there's like, you haven't seen a friend in a year. The, the only time you see him is three or four times a year because, you know, you, you all go to the same festivals. Well, that's the best part about food festivals. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that later. What else was I up to? So some progress updates on some of the projects. Line Cook Survival Guide book. So I finished writing it. I'm about mm, 80% of the way done editing it on my end before I send it off for editing. So I think realistically I could have this book done in two weeks, but I don't know. So um, I reserve the right to change my mind if it's not perfect. But I think within two weeks, I would say by early December, late uh, late November, the book should be out. It'll go out on paperback and ebook on Amazon, uh, Line Cook Survival Manual. And then I've also been working on the Culinary Leadership Fundamentals video course, And so all the video editing is mostly done. We had to go back and just change up a couple of things because I'm not sure if anyone's paying attention, but I've changed up my branding a little bit. Um, You know, the posts have a more consistent look. You know, they were initially all over the place, so I cleaned that up a little bit. So the video that we're doing, I want to make sure that that looks um, correct and has the right logos and branding, et cetera. But for the most part, that's already done. And that should hopefully also be out within the next few weeks, maybe two to three weeks. And then the third thing that I'm working on right now is the audiobook for Culinary Leadership Fundamentals. Like I said last week, I really like the narrator, Gabriel. I like his voice. Um, I've listened to a couple of the chapters already. We need to go back and correct a couple of things because I'm realizing some of the book doesn't necessarily translate to audio very well. So I want to make sure that we correct just a couple of little things here and there. But for the most part, I would say also that audiobook will probably be the last thing to be released of the three, but most likely it will be out before Christmas. So when it's time to go Christmas shopping, just go to chefspsa.com and you get everything you need. Books, um, t-shirts, 
audio books, all that. Anyway, that is the plug onto kitchen culture. So I've posted a couple of videos this week specifically talking about kitchen culture. And a lot of people have asked me, you know, what, where specifically are these clips from? And, and, um, I've talked about this before, but if, um, if this is the first time you're hearing me talk about it, I did a class a couple of years ago during the pandemic and we titled it how to manage like an executive chef. And the reason I did that was because I used to put on what was called food and beverage university for my culinary team. And it was to teach them all the things that they need to know how to become a chef aside from cooking. You know, when they're in the kitchen, they learn how to cook, but during this time they're with me, I'm going to teach them how to be a chef. So I would cover things like food costs, leadership, management, how to read a PNL, how to deal with different situations, how to play culinary chess. But when the pandemic happened, obviously we laid off a lot of people and people had to go back home and the opportunity to do this class presented itself. The class was because someone reached out to me and asked if I wanted to do a class. And I said, yes, because I did want to do a class, but I didn't want to do a cooking class. And the reason I didn't want to do a cooking class and the reason I don't run Chef's PSA as a food page for chefs. And I'll, I'll explain this because I often get asked questions. Why don't I do cooking demos or why don't I showcase more food on the page? Well, here's why. Because if you want to learn how to cook and if you want to learn all that food stuff, there's a lot of really great chefs that can show you that. You could learn that in the kitchen where you're at. You could learn that in your culinary school. There's Ruby online culinary program. There's Chef Steps. There's Masterclass. Masterclass has amazing chefs like Thomas Keller and Gordon Ramsay and Wolfgang Puck and Dominic Kren. So you don't need me to teach you all the things that they're already teaching you. Like I'm not going to show you how to sear a salmon really any differently than Thomas Keller or Dominic Kren or Chef Steps for that matter, right? All the things I can, I'm going to show you, those other people could show you, but there's really no one bringing you the chef's PSA type information, you know, how to work in a kitchen, you know, the unwritten rules, the things that no one else is willing to tell you. That's where I come in. That's where chef's PSA comes in. So that's why I don't post food pictures. It's, it's not that I, that I can't. Um, if you go on my real Instagram page, you know, Andre Natera, there's a couple of highlights. I think that's what they're called. The little circles that you click on on Instagram where you could see, um, stories that have then been compiled into photographs. I did a couple of highlights of food pictures because people would complain that, oh, all you ever post about is cigars and, you know, goofing off and jokes. And so I said, fine, I'll do long format um, food pictures. So I just did, I don't know, like for the sake of conversation, like a hundred food pictures, put it in the highlights and said, there, if you want to see what food looks like, because you've never seen food before, there you go. That's, that's food that I've made before. Look at that. But back to the regularly scheduled program, and that is cigars and talking shit, which is what I do on my personal Instagram page. And by the way, so I've noticed a lot of people that follow Chef's PSA have started moving over to follow me also uh, on my real Instagram page. And I would do that with caution because there, you're, if you're going there for more chef stuff, you're not going to find it. Um, I often talk about like in real life, I'm uh, sarcastic and funny. And well, I, I think I'm funny. I don't know. Everyone laughs at my jokes. I might not be funny. But in real life, 
I find things funny and I have, you know, I have a, a good sense of humor. So half the things I'm posting are just memes and jokes that I find funny. And it's usually really bad food. Like that's my thing. I, li- I like to post pictures of really bad food that I find on the internet. So people always send me really bad food and I just repost it. Um, and the ongoing joke I have is like, oh, this is going in my new cookbook that I'm writing, right? So it's like, you know, uh, a feet loaf, which would be like meatloaf shaped like feet, feet loaf. And I'll say, this is, I'm working on this recipe right now. It'll be in the new book. It's obviously a joke. I think it's funny. But if all you're following is Chef's PSA and you see the serious stuff and then you go to my like personal page and you're like, oh, wait a minute, is this the same guy? Yeah, it's the same guy. But that's not a chef's page. That's just a joke page. That's just me goofing off. That's me smoking cigars and going to concerts. And anyway, kitchen culture. One of my good friends, Matthew Peters, he's the um, chef that won the Bocuse d'Or in 2017 for the United States. When I was opening my last job that I was the head chef at, I asked him for advice. And I said, you obviously went through very strict training. You've worked at some of the greatest restaurants. I want to implement a very disciplined, successful culture where I'm working. How do I go about it? Because it's a big operation with hundreds of cooks that I need to get to buy in. And he gave me the best piece of advice. He said, you don't need to convince everyone on the team. You need to convince your direct reports and then they need to convince their direct reports and so on and so forth. And it scales that way. So it makes the task much more manageable and easy. And so that's what we did. We opened up and we, we created what the rules of the game were going to be. And I think it's very important that you define what the rules of the game are so people understand how to play the game and how to win the game. Because imagine you have the game of chess, right? So I, I play a lot of chess and chess is a big analogy that I like to use when it comes to the kitchen. So if you're playing the game of chess and if no one explained the rules and you have two different people playing, it would just be chaotic, right? You wouldn't know who won. You'd have to guess how to play and people would make up how the pieces are supposed to move right? Because there's no clearly defined rules to the game. The kitchen's the same way. If you don't have rules and you don't have parameters, people will make them up. And if you leave it to anybody to make up the rules of the game, most likely, not always, but most likely people are going to prefer the path of least resistance and they're going to make up rules that benefit them to work less and make things easier, which doesn't always necessarily make the food better. Of course, there's outliers and people will say, how can we do things harder, make it more difficult so we could produce better food and so we could elevate our skills. Those people do exist. But in general, we're talking about people. And if you've lived life on earth, you know how people are, right? Most people are going to choose the easy way out. So if you want to create a successful work culture, the first thing that must be established is the rules of the game. You have to know how do we do this? How do we do that? And everything has to be established. In my case, with my team of chefs, we sat around and everyone was coming from great restaurants. You know, some of them were, you know, TKRG guys. Some of them were, you know, La Bernadette, whatever the case may be. Um, and we all said, okay, what do we want it to look like when we're here? And some people said, this is how we did it at this place. And someone else said, this is how we did it at that place. And all that was very valuable information because we said, okay, the best restaurants in the world, this is how they do it. But how are we going to do it? And once we agreed that we said, okay, we're going to do it like this. They're going to do it like that. We said, okay, we agree on it. 
but we cannot change it. We all have to agree that once we say this is the standard, it becomes the standard whether we like it or not. And we have to support each other using the idea of one voice. And that means if I say it, you say it, and we both say it together. That doesn't mean that you go behind my back after I say something and say, okay, chef's gone, let's do it this way. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen because maybe it does. But I know if I go back and say, hey, why are you doing it that way? They're going to correct it, right? They understand that on paper, there's one standard and sometimes those standards deviate. But whenever we catch them because you know it's drifted a little bit, we correct it. As the expression goes, constant gentle pressure. We, we bring it back. We bring it back to center whenever things have gone and drifted a little bit. So we established everything and we thought, we're going we're gonna to talk about where we put our knife, how we fold our towels, how we cut the tape, where does the tape go, how do we interact with each other, how do we talk together, what's the language that we use. Everybody has a certain kitchen language that they use, right? There's a certain jargon, a kitchen vernacular that you use, right? So we determined, what are the words that we use in this kitchen? How do we talk to each other? Who's allowed to talk? When are we allowed to talk? All these things had to be figured out. Are we allowed to wear this color of socks? I mean, we were getting as granular as possible. We wrote it all out. And when people started, we said, this is, this is how we did it. We'd bring someone on board and we said, hey, I need you to know something. The one non-negotiable thing we have here is the culture in the kitchen. This is how we work. We, we treat people with respect. We have a set of principles. We say Caesar's not above the law. And what that means is that if the rule is the rule, it doesn't matter where you fall on the totem pole. The same rule applies to the lowest man on the totem pole, to the head chef. If the rule is this, we all do it, right? And if one person breaks the rule, and if that person is someone who makes the rule, then it's no longer a rule. So if the rule is you're not allowed to make yourself something to eat, for example, on the line, and I go and make myself something to eat, then the rule no longer exists, right? Rules are only things that can be enforced from the top to the bottom and everyone buys in because the idea of rules for thee and not for me don't exist in a well-functioning kitchen because the second that if you're the chef, the sous chef or whatever, and you say, I'm going to do this, but you can't, as soon as you leave, they do it, right? Because the rule's out the window. They no longer respect you. And that's very important when determining how are you going to build a workplace culture. It has to be built around the idea of respect. And we used to have this pillar that we would say shake in and shake out, right? So this is, this is very common in, in restaurants and, and other settings where uh, when we would get there, we'd acknowledge everyone, we'd shake in. Before we'd leave, we'd shake out. And the reason we did that is we always said, you begin the day as a professional, you close the day as a professional, regardless of what happens in the middle, because we know during the middle, a lot of shit happens in the kitchen. You guys get into a fight, they screwed you over, they took too long, whatever, right? But regardless of what happened, you begin the day as a professional, you close the day as a professional. In addition to, when you shake in and shake out with everybody, you know, the chef comes in, they go shake hands with the stewarding team. The reason you do that is because it does establish equality amongst everybody. For that moment, you're equals, right? And you want to build a culture around respect. That, that is how you're going to succeed, right? Then let's talk about discipline. When we talk about the word discipline, this means like waking up early, going to the gym. This is discipline in that sense of doing the right thing, even when... The easier thing to do is the wrong thing. Doing the right thing is the right thing to do. It's more important because the, the path of least resistance, it's like that chocolate bar that's just sitting there when you're on a diet and you're like, ah, I'm just going to break my diet and eat the chocolate bar, right? Having the discipline to say no applies in the kitchen, right? 
doing the right thing, putting things back where they belong, wiping down your station, how you're supposed to breaking down, leaving the next person set up that requires discipline. Doing things the right way requires a lot of discipline, but a lot of people take the word discipline to mean like you're in trouble. That's not what I mean. So when I say the word discipline, I'm talking about having the discipline to do the right thing. You have to create an environment where doing the right thing is the best available option. Then once everyone buys in and everyone starts doing that, as new people come in, they have two choices. They could stick around and embrace the culture or they could leave. And honestly, both options are excellent because if they stick around and they embrace the culture, that's great. You have another person that's bought in. And if they leave, that's also great. They weren't going to buy in and they were going to be disruptive to what you've created, right? So you have to define what your culture is. You have to document it. You have to communicate it. But really important, you have to communicate why it's important. Because if you just walk around and say, do this, and they say, why? And you say, well, because I said so. And there's really no reason. It's just some arbitrary reason why you want people to do it. People don't respect that. But if they understand why, like, for example, you say, Fold your towels. And they say, why should I fold my towels? Well, okay, well, well, here's why you fold your towels, right? Because you only get three a day and we need to treat them like gold. And if you don't fold it and you, you wipe something on the counter, that towel is now soiled and you only got maybe one or two uses out of it. But if you fold it, you know, three by three, you get 18 different uses out of the towel before you have to discard it and get a new towel. So if you're only getting three, you need to treat them like gold. That's why you fold your towel. And then people say, oh, the light bulb then goes off, right? So if they understand the why, they could do it. When we used to talk about cut the tape, nice, short, straight, and no greater than two inches. That was my standard. I didn't really want to see tape that was cut greater than two inches. And the reason that was is like, well, because if you cut the tape four times longer, that's four times the cost, right? And four times the cost of this creates a wasteful mindset. And that wasteful mindset then permeates into everything else we do. But if you understand that we are in a mindset of everything is important. Well, if the tape is important and folding the towel is important, what else is important? Well, I, like I just said, everything is important in the kitchen. So when you start to create a culture where everything is important, you start to see this permeate into the behaviors of the cooks that are around you. They all start getting better, right? They all start working cleaner. They all start working at a higher level. This particular place was a very large operation. Like I said, we had uh, staff was greater than a hundred, um, sous chefs. I don't know. I had about 20 sous chefs, two executive sous chefs, several chef de cuisines. Anyway, large place. And one of the things that we would get a lot of pushback on is people would come and say, oh, that's never going to work. There's no way you could convince that many people to do it. And I would say, watch, I am going to do it. And I had this self belief that I can make this happen. I could run this very large property, right? This very large kitchen just like a high-end kitchen. And I would say, watch. And people would come back later and they'd be like, damn it, how'd you do it? How did you convince all these people to do it? I said, well, I told you I was going to do it, first of all. Second of all, I spent the time making sure that they did it. I believed in it and I got them to believe in it. And they loved it. And people that worked in that kitchen loved it. And they've carried it on to other kitchens where they are now the chefs, right? It's been the most successful thing that I've done. And so now, uh, you know, I engage a lot with people online and, and, you know, I get the question like, well, how do I do that? Like, how do you do that when a place when it's already slightly dysfunctional and things aren't correct? My answer would be this. Step one is you have to believe it. Because if you do not believe that this is possible, that's it. Like, if you don't believe it, there's no way they're going to believe it. You know, people could see through your bullshit. If you come and say, hey, we're going to make the, the greatest kitchen culture and we're going to do this, that, and the other, and they're like, oh, yeah, sure. You don't believe it. Why should we believe it? So 
it has to start with you. You need to believe it first. But if you walk around and saying, oh, I can never do that here because it's too hard or, you know, my kitchen's too old or my employees have been here for too long or the last chef ruined it or whatever the case may be. Well, then great. You're not going to do it. You're not even going to try. You're going to give up before you've started. And you have ready-made excuses as to why you're allowing yourself to fail. So the first person you need to convince is yourself. You need to convince yourself and say, this is how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it regardless of the obstacles in my way. And I'm going to prove everyone wrong, right? Those are the people that can do it. Those are the people that become the exception to the rule. And you need to say that to yourself. I'm the exception to the rule. I'm going to prove everyone wrong that I could do this, right? So you have to create that mindset first. So the first step is that you need to believe it. The second step is you need to create what it's going to look like. And then you start spreading it to your direct reports and so on. And then it it just becomes contagious. The other difficult thing is you have to have... Uh, a point where you don't tolerate anything other than what the standard is, right? So once you've established the standard, you can't tolerate less than that because the second you excuse it and you tolerate something that's not the standard, the second that that's no longer a standard. Like I said, if you if you accept it, it doesn't matter anymore. So that's that's honestly probably the hardest part is ensuring that you are constantly addressing the issue. But I could tell you after time, you know, um, you won't have to after a while, because let's just say everyone is doing the exact same thing because you've done such a great job at instilling this culture. When a new person comes in and does it the wrong way, other people will correct them. You won't have to say anything. Um, I've witnessed it firsthand. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing when everyone is just on board and we're all going in the same direction. Um, and the mission is success, right? And we're, we're not going to fail. So I wanted to make sure that, um, that I address that. Now I, I will say this, um, which I probably should have started with this, but I'll, I'll kind of close with this um, idea of when you're developing a kitchen culture. And that is throughout my career, so I had a long career, 27 years in the kitchen. Over time, you get better with time, right? You start out not knowing anything. And as, as time progresses, you get better with every job. You learn more skills. You add more to your, to your toolbox. You should get better as a chef. If this was the case... I didn't understand why after every year, sometimes I was successful and sometimes I wasn't. And then I was successful again and other times I wasn't. And I could never really wrap my head around as a chef, why is it that I was successful here, but I wasn't successful there, but then I was successful here and I wasn't successful there. And after doing some deep reflection, I realized the places where I was most successful were the places that had the best workplace culture. The places where I was least successful were the places that I created a bad workplace culture. And I'll I'll take ownership of it, right? So I can't sit here and say that someone else created the bad workplace culture. If I'm the chef, I'm in charge of creating the culture. I either change it or or I don't, but either way, the responsibility falls on me. There's no one else to blame, right? And that's why I like chess so much. When you lose in chess, you made a mistake. There's no one else to blame, right? Same thing applies in the kitchen. And I, I think I should probably do a whole podcast on kitchen chess. But anyway, that's, that's for another day. Towards the end of my tenure as a chef, I, I had a really bad failure where my restaurants closed and I didn't understand why, right? So I had to, I had to reflect and I said, ah, the workplace culture is very important. So I probably spent a couple of years like working on refining um, and creating a 
workplace culture where people can succeed, right? Because ultimately, that's all I want to do as a chef is I want to help people succeed. I want to create more chefs. I want to help cooks become sous chefs. I want to help sous chefs become executive chefs and so on. That's what I want. So I needed to create an environment where people could learn and succeed and people are able to grow as chefs. And um, when the light bulb went off and I got better with time, right? It was a lot of trial and error and and keep in mind, you know, like I said, 27 years in the kitchen, I saw a lot of bad things. I I did a lot of bad things. I did a lot of good things. You know, I had my, my ups and downs along the way and I I had to figure it out just like a lot of you are. You're figuring it out as, as you go along. But the cool thing about this weekend, like I told you, it was food and wine weekend. And I was talking with a lot of chefs and you know, the, the idea of kitchen culture came up very often. And a lot of people say, you know, I love what you're doing. Um, and we got into these conversations, conversations that kind of make me think maybe I should do a guest podcast, but I'm not sure if people would ever want to have these conversations on air. Um, but regardless, the idea of hard work came up and maybe we could explore this on another podcast because we're running a little bit long here, but the idea of hard work came up and it said, Sometimes I get a lot of pushback in the DM saying, you know, I'm toxic or whatever because I say people need to work hard and earn it. And I, I, I don't think that's toxic. Um, I think that's just life, right? Nothing is given. Nothing is given that's, that's really valuable. Everything that's earned is more valuable, right? So you earn things through hard work. If I was just given the position of chef versus having earned the position of chef, if I was just given it, I'd probably wouldn't appreciate it, right? If you work all summer and you save up your money and you buy yourself a car, right? You're going to treat, and, and it might be a junk car, but it's your car, right? You're going to treat that car pretty well versus if someone gave you a more expensive car and if you crash it, they're just going to give you another more expensive car. It wouldn't matter so much, right? You, would, you wouldn't care so much about how you treated that thing because you didn't earn it. It was just given to you. So the same thing applies in the kitchen. You have to work hard. And when I say, that the kitchen culture needs to get better. I am not talking about the hard work part. The hard work is not going to escape this culinary industry. There's still guests that we have to serve. The line is still the line. It's still hot. You're still going to be on your feet. You're still going to want water. The tickets are still going to come in. That stuff's not going to change. Should we treat people better with respect? Absolutely. Right? Should we focus on health and well-being? Absolutely. And I'm never going to say otherwise. But I will say that the hard work part... I won't speak against that either because I do believe that working in a kitchen is hard work and it's not for everybody. There, there are easier kitchens, right? Where um, things, are, things are easy street, right? But a lot of kitchens aren't that way. And I would say the majority of the kitchens are hard. It's hard work. You're on your feet. You're lifting, you're bending, you're twisting, you're cooking, it's hot. And the titles, the chef, the skills, they're earned through the hard work in the kitchen, Right. You can't get good at Brunois without learning how to Brunois and doing it many, many times. So I I don't think that when someone says working hard is toxic, I, I, I disagree. I disagree. I think that kitchens are hard work, but you don't have to treat people like shit just because the work is hard. So to me, these are two different conversations and two different subjects. But anyway, if you want to create a kitchen culture, the first thing you have to do is believe in it yourself, then define it, and then expand it and make sure everyone believes in it with you and tell them the why. You know, that's, the, that's the rant for the day. Anyway, if you want to support Chef's PSA podcast, please 
follow and subscribe and drop five stars, whether you're listening on Spotify or whatever. This is a five-star podcast. Anything less than five stars makes you a liar. Someone gave me less than five stars and uh, how dare you? How dare you give me less than five stars? But anyway, that was just one person. The average bumped it back up to five. So someone's a liar out there. And if you find them, uh, make sure you uh, publicly shame them for being a liar. Anyway, go to chefspsa.com if you want to learn more. Um, get the books, Culinary Leadership Fundamentals, How Not to Be the Biggest Idiot in the Kitchen. Buy some merch, Kitchen Karate. Ask me about my Alfredo t-shirts, Line Cook Water, Magic Chef Juice. Anyway, thank you all. See you next week and hit the porno music.